Hey there, everybody. This is Ollie Bilson, and I am with Mr. Ryan Chapman. Hello, Ryan. Hello. And also his younger, healthier brother, healthier, I'm not sure that's right, but um, his brother, Mr. Trent Chapman. Hello, Trent. Hey. Trent is healthier than I am. That's a fact. That's because I'm younger. He actually goes to the gym, and I think about it. (laughs) So I think that qualifies. Right. That's good. Well, I don't know what water they you've been drinking, but you look very youthful. Yeah. I wouldn't have believed that you had five separate businesses that were successful looking at you. Because you look like you just graduated from high school. Yeah. So you're very youthful. I'm going to take that as a compliment. That was a compliment. Yeah. What's today's topic? Well, today we're going to be talking about where we left off in the last episode, which is to talk about the way to grow a team. We're going to also be addressing a common thing that I hear from people, which is worn usually as a badge of honor, which is, oh, I don't have a team. Well, I work by myself. I don't need the hassle. I use contractors. You know, the, the, there's that whole line. Well, I think before you, before you challenge people that are in that mindset. No, I'm just saying. It's not a bad place to be. Okay. It it's is, a good starting place it for is, everybody. It is a place. But you don't want to be stuck in that place. Well, if you some, have some people do, but they need to be aware of the dangers of it. Because there are some real dangers in having a business that is built just on you. on you solely or on you principally. And those dangers are very real for you and maybe those that count on you. Would you agree with that, Ali? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what we first need to do is, is probably establish the evolution from operator to business owner. Yeah. And explain each of the different steps and how people gravitate from one stage to the next. So that maybe if you're listening to this right now, you'll be able to know what stage you're in, and you'll be able to know which stage you need to go to get to next. And also, you might be able to bypass some of these stages so that you can experience growth in your business faster and probably more predictably than you are right now. Yeah, so I guess the underlying assumption that we're, we're operating here is that by listening to this, you actually want to grow a business, not just maintain a business, which are two totally different things. And, you know, if you just want to maintain, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, if that's what you want to do. Versus just accepting it, because you think that's what you Have are to capable do. or can do. Yeah. So we'll start with that, that kind of foundational work. Okay, so somebody is, what's the name of the guy that wrote the book, The E-Myth? Michael Gerber. Michael Gerber. I remember reading that and hearing him talk about most entrepreneurs are tacticians or technicians suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure. They're not actually business people. And I coupled that also with Cashflow Quadrant by uh, Robert, Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki. And how disappointed I was when I saw that there was an E and a BO. Entrepreneur and a business owner, I thought they were the same thing. And I was really, really frustrated. I was young at the time. I, I think I was probably in my either late teens, early 20s when I'm reading this because I thought, oh, entrepreneur, that's kind of what you want to be. And then I found out he's saying, no, that's not what a business owner is. So sometimes we'll use those words interchangeably and they're not really the same thing. Mm. It, how would you define that, Trent? How would you dif- differentiate for someone that's going, well, I thought entrepreneur... Well, business it, owner were the same thing. It kind of depends on the circles you're in, too, because a lot of people will say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I, I have a startup company, and we've got 20 employees, 
So they might use that that definition of entrepreneur of someone who creates a business. Yeah. But in this context of, of Robert Kiyosaki, it's more of I have my own business that I run. It's kind of like my job that I created for myself versus a business owner has some autonomy. The, the business is not relying solely on them. I would even say maybe if we wanted to make the business owner a little clear, we'd even say the business could actually grow without you being present. Would that yeah. be a, a safe definition? Yeah, I think that any business where the entrepreneur is the linchpin to the growth of the business. And really that means that they don't really have a business, so to speak. They have a job. And that kind of speaks to what you were just really saying, Trent, about that. But it could um, be worse than a job. Because in, in many employment situations, if you get sick for a little bit, they may have sick leave or something like that. But in the business, if you get sick, if some family emergency happens and you've got to devote your attention to it, you're not making money anymore. And maybe in some cases you're actually losing money if you do have a couple of people that work with you or something like that. Well, I spoke to a business owner the other day who literally referred to his business as a prison cell. So was he a business owner then? I well, th- in our definitions, we're going to say he was an entre- entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Or a self-employed individual. Yeah. He's, and so the, the truth is as well is that he had, had got caught in one of these stages in the evolution from operator to business owner okay okay and to ceo and leader more specifically okay which i think it would be useful let's address these so the first stage that comes is the entrepreneur finds out quickly that in order to have a business they need to acquire a steady stream of customers and there's obviously multiple ways and different avenues they can take to acquire those customers And they find that what they need to do is read the right books, listen to the right podcasts, maybe they attend the right events, maybe they start investing in things like information products or information or education to try and upskill them as a person that would then have an impact on the business. So that's what they do. That's the first thing that they do. And the natural thing that they go towards is now I've got some knowledge okay and that can be dangerous by the way small amount of knowledge can be dangerous but that having some than none they then go how do I now take what this newfound knowledge and start putting it to work in the business so they start doing the work okay so they start building landing pages okay they start running Facebook advertising They start writing copy. They start doing all of these different things that we all know from a marketing standpoint they have to do to be able to put these things together. And they start doing the work. And what happens is they quickly become very overwhelmed with that because they've never done any of that stuff before. And even though they know their business really well, they're not yet a specialist in any of those particular areas. So they may get some results. They may get some results from doing this, but they know that it's not sustainable. So what they do then, they move on to stage two. And in stage two, they say, 
I need to find somebody that's more of a specialist than me and I need to go and find some help. So what they do is they go out into the marketplace and they initially look for specialists and they usually do that online and they may go to websites like Upwork or Fiverr. These or are people that they would hire as contractors. To work freelancers, contractors. Yeah, yeah so any re- anybody that can help them with what they're doing. They may even hire an assistant. You know, that's quite a standard step for some people. They think, well, I need somebody to help me with these. Sometimes they regard them as an administrative task, but they're not. They're actually marketing tasks. And so that process can be a bit frustrating because they've got to find these people and they start doing the work. But they're in silos. They're all these people that they need are working in silos. Somebody that's a designer working in a silo. Somebody that's writing some copy working in a silo. Somebody setting up some AdWords stuff working in a silo. Somebody setting up an infusion stuff campaign working in a silo. They're not working Sounds together. Like a great strategy. <laughs> well, it, it, for some people, they make that they decision. They get some results. They, they, get, they may get some results, but what end up happening, ends up happening in this situation is the entrepreneur becomes the manager of all of these people. They then have to project manage all of these people because they're all independent. And that then means that they spend more time defining work for others to do than doing the thing that they should be doing, which is focusing on growing their business and what they are good at inside of their business. That may range from different things, okay? That could mean they're really good at sales. Just because you're the owner of the thing doesn't mean that you can't be the salesperson. I'm not saying that. By the way, that's an area that you'll want to remove yourself out of eventually as well. But you may be very good at one particular area, but you should be working on the business, not in the business of organizing okay. these projects. So all of this sounds all fine and dandy, but I think a lot of people find themselves like, just like, like okay, well, how do I get out of this? Yeah, I don't have enough revenue, so I yeah. can't hire all these people. Before we started, we talked a little bit about your company, Black Code, yeah. which is a company that at this point, you function entirely as the leader CEO. You're not involved in day-to-day operations, yet it produces a nice profit for you, and the company just runs. But it didn't start out that way. No. What was your story? I mean, how did you go from where it started to this point where you are now? So I I followed this path of getting quite poor results with brand-based advertising that I I was doing at the time, advertising in national magazines and press, national press, and... I was a bit, I was disenchanted with the results we were getting because I always looked at what everybody else was doing, which was exactly that, and I just copied them. I just had my message. Everybody was in these magazines. It seemed like the obvious thing that everybody, you should do. You thought that's how they get most of the results? That must be how they get most (laughs) of the results. And I just copied what the bigger businesses were doing to try and level myself up. I think that's really normal. That's like very typical as people look and say, Big business must mean smart business. Ergo, do what big business does, get big business results. Yeah. The, the reality is if you ever go and look inside of a big business, you realize it is a bigger mess than you want to believe. They just happen to have gotten to a point where they have enough cash flow 
that they can afford to do stupid stuff on a regular basis and still somewhat survive. Yeah, absolutely. And what happened was I got to a point where this the level of brand advertising that we were doing was really damaging our cash flow. And it was really getting to a point where it was quite serious in the early stages because we were running out of cash reserves. And as you know, cash is the main thing that will literally kill you as a yeah. business if you don't have it. But and I think that's what keeps a lot of people from building a team, to be totally frank, yeah. is the management of cash flow. They're like, I don't see how I can possibly get out of this place where I'm producing a majority of the revenue and yeah, I, I know that it can't continue on this way forever, but there's not enough revenue for me to get a team member or to hire somebody. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I didn't have at this time was I didn't have a vision, which is what we spoke about Last in time. the uh, previous episode to this, which you can go back and listen to. I, I wasn't clear on where I wanted to go. All that ever consumed the business was at that time was sales and marketing. Right, which is, as we've established, is kind of normal to conventional wisdom, popular belief, but it's not actually what you should do. What I should have done was really evaluate where I needed to go, and then I need to look at how I was going to get there. And the how wasn't with brand-based advertising. It was with direct response-led advertising, which I came into that world through Dan Kennedy and, and, and just happening to fall on a book that taught me about direct response advertising and, it, and, and direct response marketing. And it led me to change and shift my thinking about information first marketing, offering value in advance where we could capture people's information that, that weren't yet ready to buy. Did that freak you out a little bit at first though? Because... That's, it seems as though that's a longer route to getting to the money than the direct the brand-based advertising, right? Yeah. But it's not, but it seems that way on the surface. How did you get – well, let's, we'll go to that at a different point. But did this mechanism, this new skill of direct response marketing, give you a cash flow surge – that um, allowed you to add another person, or how did you get to adding the first team member? Yeah, so so basically what happened was I discovered direct response. We started implementing it, and immediately what I found when I started implementing was I needed other skills, I needed other capabilities, and some of which, like in the, the first stage I just explained, I had to do myself because that was logical. I had to put together the ads myself, write the copy myself, write the follow-up myself, you know, put all of these things together myself. Principally because you didn't have the money to hire somebody. Certainly because I didn't have the money to hire somebody. And if it was up, if it was, it was down to me to get the results because of that, right? I, I had to take the information and I had to run with it and do the best that I could do with it. So that's exactly what I, I did in the early stages. And then what I did was after we started making a little bit of money from this and I started to believe that these principles were something that would be still serving us extremely well today, of course, yeah. you know, it made sense to try and bring somebody else in or get extra help in areas that I was frankly struggling with that I just wasn't good at doing yeah. and certainly a lot of the digital side of things at that time were a challenge 
things like you know building landing pages and squeeze pages and the web design sure. stuff even aspects of infusionsoft although frankly i enjoyed that part and i was actually a spe- kind of becoming a bit of a specialist in doing that i could do that more technically um I knew that I had to find other areas that to, to cover. So I went down the route, the freelance route, as we explained. I even then went into stage three. Stage three was actually hiring my first in-house person when I got somebody because I thought, well, I got disenchanted with hiring these freelancers. Why from, was that? So we... we First of all, it was a pain to hire them, and it still is a pain to hire them these days to try and find good quality people. Sure. When they do start working for you, they can be unreliable, communications poor. You know, I tried hiring people in different countries, so time zones were an issue to try and reduce costs. And, you know, people would leave projects half done, which means I had to come and fix them. I'll find other people to pick them up from where other people left off. And, you know, all of that is a, is a real so challenge. So that's what drove you to finally hire someone in-house. And the fact that I was managing those people myself as well. So your job had shifted from producing revenue to now managing and producing revenue. And it was, would it be fair to say it was burning kind of the candle at both ends? Yeah, you would. That is probably the worst possible place to be, to come up with the strategy. That's the worst stage. Yeah, to come up with the strategy, to then have people that you're paying to be able to do things for you, which need direction and management. And you need to provide that direction and management to multiple people at the same time because you're paying for that time. Yeah. So I inevitably hired my first team member because I thought well it's logical here what I need to do is I just need to bring somebody else in to help me. Had you been burned right before then? Well I'd had some people that had let me down on the on the freelancer on the the contracts and the freelancer side but you know I, I knew that I had to make a change I knew that I needed to have more proximity to the problem yeah. And I know that I needed somebody to be able to own that. So I hired my first in-house person who was on very you know, low, and they weren't a specialist, they weren't a marketing expert by any means. They really were coming in with you know, an, an, a motivation to learn, and I was really handing off projects to them to, to learn and implement at the same time. But the challenge was they were good at one thing that we needed. They were good at the, you know, in generally find this, this is a general thing, not just my situation. When you first hire somebody, they're probably good at one thing, even if they're a fairly low-end person, and they're not great at lots of things. So then what ended up happening? Now I've got somebody who's really good at the one thing, but now they have to go and hire people to get the other things that we don't have. So they then become the project manager of those people. Well, now that's a very dangerous place to be (laughs) because now I'm paying for somebody in-house to now also spend their time on managing other people in other areas. And that... And, and then things were still continuing to fail well, now, because of it. Before you go too much further down that, we don't want to scare people away. They're thinking, yeah, I'm just going to stick with contractors and just do it all myself because I don't think that's a great place to be either. No. You really have to understand the alligator that's behind you, so to speak. So what we're talking about, we're trying to move you towards is that pot of gold at the top of the mountain that you're going to have to work towards, which is becoming a business owner. But you have to understand the alligator that's behind you at the same time so you don't 
lallygag. And the, the alligator is that if for some reason you would have fallen ill, had an accident, what have you, your ability to produce income would have been totally shot. And so having being able to add that employee gave you maybe not all the skills, but it gave you the consistency buffer. and it created a little buffer of somebody that could help, even if they were slower, maybe they could do it in a tenth of the time that you could do it in. But the fact that they could do that meant you just gained an extra 10% of capacity that you didn't have before. And as long as you had your vision and your, your values clear, then they would be adding to that and executing on that. I just talked to a gal just yesterday who had a couple of contractors just quit on her in the middle of a launch of a new product, you know, a bunch of things going on. She's away from her office at a conference and finds out that they came and said, we want to triple the rates or we're going. <laughs> so they basically held her hostage because they were contractors. And you don't typically see that happen with employees because they, you know, they've, got that job with you. It's not like they've got other opportunities. So this person was in a real bad place because they had become too reliant and casual working with contractors. Those contractors were basically doing the same thing an employee might do. And she wasn't like she was playing cheap rates either because she was getting specialized skills. So she actually would have been better off to hire someone that maybe was a little bit less expensive, maybe a little bit less experienced, but was going to be reliable and in-house that she could train up under the vision and values and then give her that reliability, hopefully, that could lead to being able to add a second person or third person and gradually build out these teams. I think for my first time I hired someone, the thing that I was concerned about might have been different with, with all the experience because I didn't go through the contractor route. Yeah. I was aware of all these tasks that I'm doing. Which business was this? In the real estate and mortgage business. Yeah. All these tasks I was doing were low hourly rate tasks. And in order for me to grow my revenue... I had to have someone doing those things and taking those off my plate. So I was in a little bit different position looking for someone to do tasks and to manage a certain part of the business that was important and necessary to fulfill for my clients, but that I didn't need to do. So for me, it was more important that I analyze the task and determine their value and then make a process that was clear and easy for me to hand off. Because if I didn't do that, I could hire someone, not give them a clear process, and then I have the same problem of, trying to manage people and teaching them along the way versus clearly defining, here's what I need to have done, here's why it needs to be done, and here's your role. And then handing it off to them and then checking in versus so what, micromanaging. So what, what drove you to that point of feeling like, i got to have somebody new now help me? It was basically because I knew my time was limited. And I, and I wasn't planning on growing to be autonomous in the business. My, my vision wasn't really set. It was more of, I just want to have someone help me to make more money. My income felt capped for the last couple of years. So I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore myself. So I tapped out. Had you gotten better at maybe doing sales? Yeah, and that's where I identified that for me, at that stage of my business, I had to be focused on more on sales, less on fulfillment of the services. And if I had someone to help me, I could double my efforts in sales. So that was my logic and my thinking. And I think that's typical for most people. And that's a good place to start, it's okay. I don't think people need to make the jump from okay, I'm going to be a solopreneur, just me and my business too. Now I've got three employees and I don't do anything. Yeah. That's not a logical expectation. We do have to have a different phases, as Ollie was explaining. So go from the technician and the company doing everything to, for me, I felt like it's best for me to focus on sales because that's what I was good at. Yeah. And that brought in revenue. And the other person could help me free time so I could focus more on sales. 
So I, I think what I've seen commonly with people that actually grow teams versus those that get stalled out is that they acquire some skill that allows them to get a cash flow bump. If you're stuck in the solopreneur place, you've got to get some skill that allows you to create an expansion of value fairly rapidly. Well, it's, it's usually sales though, because most businesses, if you think about it, they start with sales, then they become an expert or proficient in marketing. Yeah. But there's always those, I think the two cases I see most frequently are sales. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most common. Then least common, but but more I see that as well is they get a direct marketing education. And that's yeah. probably just because of where Our I circle. hang out. But they either get a direct marketing skill and that allows them to create an expansion of revenue or they get good at sales either by training organically and then they see this expansion and realize, okay, i got to pass off something. I think the, the least rare of them is someone's just really good at the thing they do and they get so good at that that everybody wants it. Everybody wants it. <laughs> and then they, they hire the sales and marketing people to take that over because they're not really great at that. seems like your, your business owner typically is someone who is really good at sales or really good at marketing and I'll use that skill to create a little bit of a buffer for them to be able to hire somebody. Would you agree with that, Ollie, or do you see yeah, it differently? Yeah, I think that in my situation, after I'd sort of found that there was a, the, the person that was in the, inside the business that then inevitably had to then work with external people was becoming a bottleneck. What I then gravitated to, which was like the fourth stage, was hiring an agency. And this is like the biggest mistake, fatal mistake, that most business owners make. Too, too premature, you mean? Yeah. Because there's um, some businesses I've seen that have really exploded because they worked with an agency at the right phase of growth. And usually when they do work with an agency at a, the right phase of growth, it's for a very, very specialist mm -hmm. marketing. marketing something. Uh, yeah, something that that agency's solving that's quite unique to, to be able to solve. So for example, I'll give an example of that. So running YouTube advertising, okay, is very, very different from running Google advertising, even though Google, YouTube advertising is part of Google, right? Yeah. It's different. It's different. Which is different from Facebook. Which is completely different from Facebook, which is totally different from solo ads, which is totally different from space advertising, which is totally different from direct mail, which is, to, that it's different. Where I, what I ran into was hiring an agency because I thought that they were going to be the cure to a multitude of problems. <laughs> what I then, even though, so what it meant now was I was hiring somebody else's capability, hiring their team, but their capability was then split, split across however many clients they had. Yeah. Right. So... The, the truth is, even in those situations, they can't care about your business as much as you do. No. And they don't understand it because they don't have time to understand it. And it's it's fine to do an intake form on a questionnaire when somebody comes sure. into a question agency. Very different from the eyes and ears of your business every single day. Really, how you're solving problems for people that you didn't even realize you were solving sometimes. It could be great marketing messages in the future. Okay, so I'm not really clear, though. So the first phase is I'm working by myself. The second phase is I start adding maybe some contractors or a VA or, or something like that. Or part-time person. Third is I get a full-time person or person starting to work with my team. Then you mentioned a fourth phase. And the fourth phase is you identify that maybe you need 
some sort of specialist as not a contractor but a team. Well, what like you realize, what you realize is, is that when you've got a full time team member, they're project managing lots of people, and they're probably good at one thing and not project management. No, they're not very good at project management, and they're like a specialist probably in one thing, but not all the things. That's the reason why you they need to go external to contractors and freelancers again to get that work done. Then what you end up doing is, is you end up going, well, maybe I should fire this in-house person because they're only good at one thing and we know we need more so we go to the quote-unquote full service marketing agency that apparently can do everything for you um, is that hard for you to say considering you well we were a results-based marketing agency which is very different from very. a full service marketing agency how, how are they different by the way we get results and full service agencies generally don't okay they charge you for <laughs> they charge you for service you charge for results yeah and we offered, in the scope, a whole lot of services, but we didn't price or we didn't position ourselves that we were a jack of all trades because we're, we're not. We just know the key things. But from a business can, owner's perspective... You could see why somebody might find They go that and they think, okay, yeah. instead of me having to worry about building out a marketing team yeah. or... You know, whatever the, the segment of the business they're trying to address with this outsourced solution, that's a mistake in your opinion. What should they be doing at that point? Well, this is where they gravitate towards stage five. And stage five is building their own growth team. Okay. Now, building their own growth team is similar to the stage that they took when they were in stage four, where they put somebody in full-time in their business. It's similar, but it's set up differently. And what I mean by set up differently is we remember that in stage four, I was talking about, sorry, stage three, you were having somebody that was in the business that were good at, good at one thing, but they had to outsource to other people to get other stuff done. When you build a growth team, you build a distributed level of capability. And that means that one person is a full stack person. They're capable of doing lots of different things. Their class is a generalizing specialist. Not a generalist, not a specialist, a generalizing specialist. And that's a different type of person that you're creating. And in order to be able to do that, you need to have mentorship for that person. You need resources. You need to give them tools. You need to give them training. And you need to make sure that you're supporting them fully in them being successful and them working on the priorities for so, what's important to the business. Some people, as they heard you go through that list, just got tired. Yeah. So <laughs> Because I can, it sounds like a whole lot. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they could also take 10 years, 15 years of their life in business and make all of those mistakes and then come back round to the fact that... But the reality is, is that's not happening overnight. That's going to be a gradual process. Knowing that that's the road you're going to have to go on can help you then to go on it versus trying to avoid it. Correct. Here's what I've noticed is I was really overwhelmed with the idea of managing people for a long time. You know, with Trent and I's first business that was successful that we did together, we had a team pretty quickly. Yeah, we hired, well, not a big team, but like six people in the first few months. Yeah. Be, and it was because we had figured out what we did differently with that business than many people do with their businesses. We had messed up in a lot of other businesses, had educational moments in those, 
Trent learned sales. I was learning marketing. We we're like, okay, we actually have a market need that's intense. Let's bring those skills as good or, or okay as they were to it and we'll do our very best with it. And we quickly realized, okay, there's something there. We were making some revenue. And we said, okay, we need people to help us because we can't do this all by ourselves. And so we added an assistant like within the first week, I think it was, just to process order forms and start calling around to hotels yeah, or something. And then someone after that started managing all the events and scheduling took that over full time. And then we realized we needed someone for support to answer, you know, little questions about, you know, the service that we were offering and we had someone that was helping out with or we had well, obviously we had a salesperson that was doing all the trainings. Yeah. We, we is, came into it as a partnership, which I think partnerships are tough in some ways, but they also have advantages. And Trent and I's case, we're brothers, so we're not perfect at being partners, but we have a little deeper relationship than just the partnership, so I think that helps us resolve misunderstandings yeah, and stuff. But, so that was a huge advantage, because we had two people already that were fairly intelligent and dedicated to the outcome, and we didn't directly partner up with our third person, but we the third person was a key component to the business, and he was the salesperson. So that gave us a huge amount of leverage over someone that just says, oh, I'm really smart at this one thing. I'm going to go do the business about it. So I, th I think sometimes that can be a huge advantage because that got us all the way up to what stage are we at at that point? We've got... Well, you, 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 what you did was um, probably not knowingly. Yeah. And, and part of They're this absolutely is... Absolutely not knowingly. Yeah. yeah we part, were very ignorant. I was 26. <laughs> where were you? I don't remember. 30, something. Yeah. Um, You're young and in business. But you, you did this not knowingly because what you did was you started building a growth team. You didn't know that at the time, yeah. but you started building a growth team because you, first of all, had somebody that was an assistant that was doing various different tasks across the business. Yeah. They had to do that. Then you identified, you hired where it hurt. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So you figured out what was hurting. Then you started putting people in these positions. You weren't thinking about departments at that time. No, you but just when I look back at it, like my responsibility was marketing primarily. Trips was actually fulfillment. Coaching, training. Which was products. the fulfillment. Yeah. And then the third guy was sales. And we all worked together on collaborating on creating assets and stuff in each of those. But we each had our primary responsibility. It was almost, I don't think we ever had a meeting that said, okay, you're responsible yeah. for that. It was just like an Organic. understanding organic so we had those three which are the three core three i think right yeah you've got to make you got to attract people yeah that's the marketing you've got to convince them that they should do business with you by making promises to them yeah. and then you got to fulfill those promises yeah you know sales and fulfillment and so you have to have those three components in the business usually they're all in one person initially right mm -hmm. and then some portion of that gets shifted off i think there's a really big thing that people believe that they can run a business, build a business that doesn't involve people, right? Yeah. Building a real business, I've yet to find one where you don't need to have a people element to the business. Yeah. And I don't care if you're an e-commerce business, guess what? You've got support. You need support, okay? Yeah. And even at, that even at that end of the spectrum, you still need people. So you need to establish what your growth team is. And generally... There are different aspects to a growth team. There are there's the acquisition part. 
Okay, so you just explained what your acquisition part was. Like Trent was in sales, right? So Trent was fulfillment. He was he was fulfillment, right? Yeah. Retention. So, okay, cool. So you had acquisition, you have monetization, okay, and then you have content, and you have delight, and in some businesses you have product team as well, right? So the acquisition team are really all about lead generation activity. Okay, monetization is all about converting those leads, and delight is all about, and I call delight, you could call it customer support, but it just seems nicer to say that, and delight is all about supporting people both pre-purchase and post-purchase, and then content is about the information that you provide post-purchase, and also about the, the elements and the aspects that go into parts of the lead generation, obviously, so they work across that team as well, so yeah. they work together with them. And then you have the product team, and the product for some businesses isn't quite so relevant, but they get to a point sometimes where they need to focus, even if, the, even if they have a service-based business, the service is still a product. Yeah. So there's an improvement there. That's more, as you grow, that's a consideration, but yeah. the key ones are monetization, acquisition, and delight. I think what I've observed in companies that, that grow is that when they start to build these teams, and also to, to maintain success and momentum, those teams don't become siloed. And I think that's really important. There, I, What I noticed with what Trent and I did in that first successful business together is there was some organic overlay of the various departments. That, that existed because they weren't ever officially quoted out as so okay well you're in this department you're in that department yeah. it was a company right so it was an organization and there were different roles that each of us had but they were all interwoven so if if there was an issue at fulfillment we would look at marketing and sales to see is there something we can do there to address you know better retention you know, keeping people satisfied, delight, whatever you want to call it. And that would also then use, like, customer support to inform product development. So what are people saying they're struggling with? What new problem have we caused for people because we solved their original problem they came to us for? And so that, but that's the whole benefit you get of having a team. If you're just by yourself working, you're too overwhelmed just trying to keep everything moving to actually be able to create something that's going to last long-term and be successful. So if I was trying to convince you to do anything as a result of this podcast, it would be if you're currently solo, start making it an intention to build a team, not for the sake of building the team, but in order to grow the business to serve more people at a higher level at a higher profitability and all that. You can't get there unless you have people. And then um, from a management standpoint, I would say, how do you get to that point where you find it is an extension of you to manage people as, instead of a pain? Because I think that's where a lot of people even stop themselves from going down that journey is they say, now, I have managed people before and it was a nightmare. Why has it become a nightmare? What do you think, Trent? Why, why is usually, people a nightmare? Usually it's because, well, it could start with hiring the wrong person for that task, but usually it's because as a business owner, uh, we haven't really made it clear for them, here's the things you need to do, here's the processes, here's the training, here's the information. So that's what I've encountered is that when I'm not prepared, 
to hire and hand off tasks that it becomes a nightmare and I want to blame them versus taking accountability yeah. for I did prepare to hire someone, train them, give them the tools, technologies, and resources to do the job that I'm expecting them to do, and then a way to report that back. My wife has taken an entrepreneurial class and they told her, hire slowly, fire quickly. And I'm like, yeah, that's a nice theory, but sometimes it's really hard to do, especially if you're a person. Or you just hire fast and fire fast as well. Yeah. <laughs> that works as well. <laughs> Actually, it costs you a lot to hire the wrong person because you do have that tendency to hold on a little bit, saying, let me give them a chance to see if they'll work it out. Yeah. But yeah, that's the, I think the main thing, though, is if you have it clear on who you want to do that and what their skill sets required for that and the process and tasks they're going to be doing, then it's, it's more likely to hire the right person the first time. Well, let's have people for this, because I think we're going to draw this one to a close. Let's have people at the, at the close of this episode. You know, what I encourage you to do is just think about if you ha- don't have a team, think about the benefits of having a team and go ahead for a moment and suspend all your concerns about having a team. Because I'm going to tell you that having the team will outweigh any concerns about have about having a team. If you had a bad experience in the past, having a team, I would say that can be overcome with the right help. Like Ollie's got his course, which walks through how to hire properly, how to identify if they're in the right seat on the bus, and if they're not, move them to the right seat or move them off the bus. And we can talk more about that in another episode, I think. But would you, what would you want people to get out of this discussion? I think really to open your mind to the possibility that the business can be more than just you. And as much as you feel that you're the key driver behind the business, actually you may be stifling your success by not actually being open to hiring people. So hiring people, building capability inside of your business, that means that they can take responsibility for helping you grow the business. And these positions that we spoke about in in putting a growth team together are what really creates a modern marketing team, really, that will enable you to to grow and prosper and not sit and stagnate. Okay, Trey? I I think the thing that comes to my mind is we all fear that uh, process of hiring someone and, you know, how am I afford to pay them? And those are all natural fears that come to your mind as you're growing a business. But if you focus on what you do best to grow the revenue and then clearly write out those processes and tasks so you can prepare to hire the right person, it's not something you should fear. I, I noticed in my business that as soon as I was able to let go of the perfectionism of do it my way, do it this way, and just hire the right person, give them the outcomes and give them the tools and the resources necessary, my income went up and I was shocked by it. Uh, because I didn't think that would happen. I was you know, skeptical. I thought, okay, this is just going to cost me money, but I'll have a little bit more time. Not only give me more time, but it give me more profit, more income. So take that leap of faith, but do it judiciously with the focus on, of course, growing your business, not just hiring a person for the sake of hiring a person, but having a clear path on what they're going to do and how they're going to help you to continue to grow revenue. And that'll be the best jump you can make in your business if you're prepared for that in the right way. And we'll close with this. I think if you'll just... Give yourself a little room to believe that you can you can have a team that the team can help you be successful. Talk to people who have teams; they'll tell you the things that they've learned, and they'll help you get closer to being able to implement a team in a positive way that can be a real benefit to you and the people you serve. So, on behalf of Ollie and Trent, keep moving forward. We'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>